10 for $10 is back at Meijer. This week, buy 10 items, get the 11th free, and get it delivered right to your door with free home delivery on orders of $35 or more. Save on Progresso or Campbell's tomato or chicken noodle soup, Chex Mix, Green Giant frozen vegetables, or Meijer facial tissue. All 10 for $10, get the 11th free. Meijer is here to help you save more and spend less, and with 10 for $10, get the 11th free and free home delivery on orders of $35 or more. You can stock up on everything you need. Exclusions apply. See all the deals in the Meijer app. Welcome to the Christian Center Church Podcast. If you'd like to sow into this ministry, you can do so at the link below. Thank you for joining us, and we hope the message today will bless you. We seem to think that we have many bodies, but we really only have one body. Interestingly, even though individually we can say that we, our bodies, are the temple of the Holy Spirit, the only time Paul says that in the singular, 1 Corinthians six nineteen, is in reference to how we are to keep ourselves sexually pure. Remember, you've got to read the word in context. So, but when he talks about being the temple, and he's saying, if Paul was from the south, here's how 1 Corinthians three sixteen would be translated. He would say, do you not know that y'all are the temple of the living God? Okay, it says that you yourselves. In other words, in the Greek, it's plural, it's not singular. So he's saying collectively, we are the body of Christ. And he's referring to us when it comes to being the incarnation of Christ on the earth. Come on, Jesus is the head, but we are the body. He doesn't have, he only has one body. It's not like a, you know, a a wardrobe you go in and you just bring out a, a, a new suit or a set of clothing or whatever and change it. He's got one body and it's got to fit. It's got to fit. It, and the truth is, this body is God's plan to change the world. He doesn't have a plan B. We're it. So, let's ensure that we are understanding this revelation. You see, we have a lot of revelation. But revelation without manifestation is only frustration. There, there, there comes a point where revelation must move into incarnation, and then there must be manifestation, meaning the man must fest. The man must fest. Who is the man? It's Christ, the body of Christ. He's the head. We're the body. When you read the Bible from front to back, you're going to find this constant theme that God creates a man. God created a man. His name was Adam. He made this man male and female in his image and likeness, but it's called man. And that's not just like, well, humankind. Sometimes we, we read some translations that say he created humankind. But I want you to understand the very word man in Hebrew, Adam, is so much more than just humankind. It means a single person, you know. And so ultimately, even though we are many different people and, 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 
and we have male and female, the point is here is that God created one man. Okay? Now, <clears throat> when we see what he does after the fall, ultimately he creates another man called Israel. And isn't it interesting that he always uses the personal pronoun? In the original language, it doesn't say Israelites. It says Israel, personal, a name, right? Then we get into the New Testament, and we begin to see this revelation unfold of a body, of an ecclesia. I just did a seminar all day yesterday on ecclesia, and people were, like, people got delivered a religion. Can I tell you that? Uh, people got set free from a lot of faulty thinking and mindsets and traditions because we make the word of God of none effect by our traditions. So we have to understand what Jesus is up to. What was the original intention of Jesus coming into the world? Like I, I honestly posted this. I, I posted this on Facebook on two of my accounts the other day. And I said, <clears throat> I believe many of us are preaching the wrong message what should we be preaching? Man, I want to tell you, I had about 150 different things, you know? And I'm not saying we don't preach healing, we don't preach, you know, uh, the gospel. I'm not saying there aren't different topics we preach, but my point is, what are we supposed to be preaching? What is the, the thing Jesus said is so significant that if we fail to preach it, the end will not have come? Matthew 24, 14 says, when the gospel of the kingdom is preached throughout the world as a witness to all the nations, then the end will come. The gospel of the kingdom. Do you know that 2 Peter 3, 12 says that we should be looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God? Amen. Looking for and hastening. That means not only anticipating, but accelerating. <laughs> I tell you, I've got a different ministry if you didn't figure it out yet. Okay? But the point here is my job is to bring the church into alignment. That's my job. Okay? I'm, the, I'm your Holy Ghost chiropractor. Okay? The time you walk out of here, you're going to have a lot of snapping and popping and different things. You're going to feel uncomfortable. But eventually, man, you're going to go, oh, let's feel good now. This feels good. I mean, come on now. Because let me tell you this. If, there, if there's not alignment, there will not be proper function. Chiropractor told me that. Not alignment, he's here in Louisiana too. Not alignment, you will not have proper function. If your car's on alignment, it won't function properly. Right? You things will wear down, wear out. Right? So the point is, you'd not be able to go the distance if you're not in alignment. You might be able to do some good things, but you won't be able to do the God things. <clears throat> so the gospel of the kingdom, he said, will be preached. You know, in verse 3, they actually said to him, after Jesus told them the temple would be destroyed, they asked him a question, they said, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? Okay. End of the world. So Jesus goes through, and he talks about 
wars, rumors of wars, famine, pestilences, COVID-19, and, and all these things. But then in verse 6, he says, but the end is not yet. Amen. The end is not yet. Then in verse 8, he says, these things are birth pangs. These are the beginning of sorrows. But he only gives the answer unequivocally in verse 14 when he says that God, when the gospel of the kingdom is preached throughout the world as a witness or a testimony to all the nations, then the end will come. I have a little book on Amazon you can download on this topic. I'm writing a book right now. It's about to be published that goes into much greater detail on this topic. But the point is, we have to get this right. So he didn't say the gospel of religion. He didn't even say the gospel of salvation. He said the gospel of the kingdom. Interestingly, there's only one time in the whole New Testament where the terminology uh, gospel of salvation is found. Only one time. That's in Ephesians 1.13. Now, let me say, there is salvation. Soteria in the New Testament language is the word for salvation. But salvation comes from the being in the kingdom. Think about that. The Bible says in Colossians 1.13 that when we come to Christ, we are translated, we are brought from one kingdom, a kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of of God's Son, which is the kingdom of light. And he says he delivered us. Delivered comes the same word. Okay, we are delivered. The concept is the same. Delivered, saved. Saved means delivered, by the way. Okay, there's, there's at least four different ways, very distinct ways, the word Sozo, which is the verb form of the noun, soteria, is used in the New Testament. But ultimately, do you want me to give you the most, in my opinion, my humble opinion, the most significant and yet profound definition of salvation? What is salvation? When you study the word and you go deep with it, you go back into the original. The word in the New Testament Greek language, soteria, means this. Let me hear your seatbelt click. To be free from the harassment of an enemy. Salvation means freedom from the harassment of the enemy. <laughs> Physical, you need healing. So we see in James 5.16, the prayer of faith will save sozo the sick, heal the sick. So, okay. so if the enemy's harassing with your health, you need soteria, freedom from the harassment of an enemy. Okay, Matthew one twenty one, you shall call his name Jesus, Yeshua, or he will save, he will sozo his people from their sins. If sin has got you in its grip, if you are bound by the power of sin, if you're addicted and you can't get set free, you need freedom from the harassment of an enemy. You need soteria. If demons got a hold of you, and tell, let me tell you, there are more people than you think, right? 
Let me tell you, if demons got a hold of you, Jesus went around doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. For God was with him. God had anointed him with the Holy Ghost and power. So what I'm saying, if you need freedom from the harassment of a demon or demons, Luke 8.36 talks about that and how Jesus delivered people. He sozoed, and it, uh, it means that it, the word sozo, salvation. And then one more time in James 1.21, he says to the church to receive with meekness the implanted or engrafted word which is able to save your soul, sozo your souls. And he's saying, receive the word that is in you, the implanted, the engrafted word that is in you. It's able to save your soul. The word soul is suke. We get our word psyche, psychological. It talks about our mind, our emotions, our will, our affections. Let the word of God deal with those things in you that are still broken. Let experience real shalom, nothing missing, nothing broken, everything complete. Salvation essentially is, is the same concept of shalom in the Old Testament. So what it means is if you got something with your mind, if you got tormenting thoughts, if you got unforgiveness, if you got something you just can't think about, you can't let it go, you can't get free, you know, I mean, if you got pain in your soul because of things that have happened in your past, I'm here to declare to you the good news of God's kingdom that there is freedom from the harassment of that enemy too. I hope y'all don't mind if I get a little excited. Come on. So, the kingdom, the theme, the message that Jesus preached was the kingdom. We need to come into alignment with the kingdom. With the good news of the kingdom. That's what gospel is. He said also that you need to go and, and make sure that because of a result of what I did on the cross and how I defeated the enemy and I've been raised to life forevermore, he said, you need to understand that all power or all authority in Matthew 28, 18 has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So I want you to go, therefore, and the King James says, teach the nations, but it literally is a different word in the Greek language than teach in verse 20. The word teach in verse 19 is a completely different word. It means to disciple. It means to disciple. So, and in the New Testament language, I'm sorry, I'm, guys, I'm getting a little technical this morning because I'm sharing with you my life message. And the word disciple literally is a commandment. And the word go, baptize, and teach, those three words are participles. The commandment, the imperative, tells us what we're supposed to do. In other words, to make sure that we keep the main thing the main thing. But go, baptize, and teach are participles, which tell us how we're supposed to do it. So let's break it down. Go and disciple the nations, the ethnic groups of the world. There are over 17,000 ethnic groups in the world right now. 6,900 are still considered unreached people groups. That adds up to about 3 billion people. An unreached people group is, des is, is calculated on the, on the premise that less than 2% of the population is Christian. There are still places in North America that fall into that category. For example, Quebec 
in Canada. Major cities in Canada, where I'm originally from. More Muslims in most cities in Canada than there are Christians. More Hindus, more Sikhs in most cities in Canada than there are Christians. I'm talking the real deal Christian now. Not, a, oh, I was born, you know, this way, but they never, they don't even know the Bible, they don't even fellowship. No, I'm talking about the real deal. So, baptize, go, teach them, disciple these people. It's not enough just to get and go and do a crusade, and we have 30% of the village puts their hand up and says, I want to follow Jesus. But what happens afterwards? What happens afterwards, right? In John 8, Jesus is preaching. I mean, he is scolding them. He is challenging them. He's telling them, your father is the devil. And they're getting upset and they're getting mad at him. But then it says, nevertheless, I believe it's verse 30. He says, nevertheless, there were some that believed in him. Okay. It actually says many believed in him. So even though he preached such a strong message, there were many that believed in him. Now, listen to this. Jesus said to those who believed in him, if you continue or you abide in my word, okay, you then are my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Can you just go to the, the verse before that? I want to put that on the screen. I want you to see this. Jesus said to those Jews, okay, as he spake, there we go, these words, many believed on him. Verse 30. As he spake these words, many believed in him. Then verse 31, wow. And Jews, Jesus said to the Jews who, which believed on him, if you continue in my word, you're my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. In other words, it's not enough to believe. A real belief is the starting point. It's the beginning. It's the entry point into the kingdom. But discipleship is continuing to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says in 2 Peter 3.18, grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you know the truth, you would discover more and more truth. I'm not talking about, about by intellectual, uh, you know, acknowledgement, mental assent, but I mean spiritual revelation. The word know is gnosko in Greek. It means to know personally, to know experientially. For example, it speaks of the most intimate type of relationship between a man and a woman when it says that after Jesus himself was born, that Joseph knew Mary and she begat more children. Joseph gnosko Mary, the equivalent in Hebrew is yada. To know experientially. Jesus said in John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that they may know you, Father, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. This is eternal life, that they may gnosko you, Father. 
know personally, experientially. You know his voice. You know what pleases him. You understand those things that are important to him. When Adam and Eve, before they sinned, they were living in the garden, one of the great, the things that they experienced was, was deep, intimate fellowship with the Father. In Genesis 3.8, after they messed up and ate the fruit, the Bible says that they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. Now, let me ask you a question. How did they know that wasn't a bear or a lion or a tiger? I mean, they heard some noise, but they knew it was the sound of the Lord God because it wasn't the first time. We only, we can only identify with clarity that which we're familiar with. So the point is, he understood what was happening. And that's the call in our lives, to know him. Out of our place of knowing him, listen to this, is identity. If you have issues with your identity, if you have struggles with your identity, let me tell you something. You need to know the word, absolutely. But more than just knowing the word of God, you need to know the God of the word. The Pharisees knew the word, y'all. But they didn't know the God of the word. Jesus said in John 5, I'm paraphrasing, y'all diligently study the scriptures. <laughs> These scriptures testify of me, but you refuse to come to me that you might have life. Wow. How well did the Pharisees know the scripture? Some Pharisees, by the time they were 18, had already memorized the Torah. A lot of Pharisees, by the time they were 30, had memorized the Tanakh, the whole Old Testament. <laughs> you diligently study the scriptures, but yet you don't even, you can't see the what? The trees, the forest for the trees, right? So basically, this is, this is an issue. Do we know him? If we know him, we'll have joy, we'll have peace. If we know him, we'll have revelation. If we know him, we'll be secure and strong in who we are. Identity is, is a byproduct of intimacy. When John, who wrote the Gospel of John, he referred to himself in that book seven times as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Come on now, do you know that God loves you? Think about this. I went to a conference once. I was speaking on, on this topic. And what I did to make a point before I got up to speak is we all had to wear name tags. You know those tags that, hello, my name is, and then they usually tear off and start peeling off about halfway through. And, you know, it's like, what's your name? Let me. <laughs> so, so I'm, I'm, I'm like, I put on my name tag. It's a hello. My name is. I put father's favorite son. Father's favorite son. Now, some of you say, "Well, man, well, you you need that, don't you?" Yeah, I do. So do you. I'm, I'm honestly, you know what? I mean, I honestly. I grew up as the golden boy in my family. You know what I'm saying? 
I mean, I was favored. I was the only kid. And, and so, I mean, I was spoiled rotten, okay? So let me just tell you that, that, that low self-esteem wasn't an issue in my family growing up. <laughs> I mean, I was, I, I was everything. I could do whatever, I, you know. So the point I'm trying to make is it wasn't an issue of, oh, I need this. But I know some of us, we do, and that's good. But I recognize this, that when John said that, the reason why he knew he was the disciple whom Jesus loved was because of his closeness to Jesus. He was the son of thunder, and ultimately he got transformed into this disciple whom Jesus loved, and he wrote the, the, about love. He was known as the apostle of love, and, and the reason being is, I believe, the final chapter of John's gospel in chapter 21, you see John with his head on Jesus' chest. Think about that. Here in the heartbeat of the Son of God. And whenever John, uh, Jesus went around, John was like leaning on him. And we know Mary and Martha, the story, right? Mary was the same. But ultimately, it's all about intimacy with him. Getting to know him, spending time with him, hearing his voice, letting him love on you, let him talk to you. Let him share with you his secrets. You know, that's powerful. That's powerful. He wants to share with you his secrets. Listen to this. Psalm 25, 14. This is the passion. Uh, the passion is, is more of a paraphrase, but I want you just to hear this. There's a private place reserved for the devoted, devoted lovers of Yahweh where they sit near him and receive the revelation secrets of his promises. They sit near him. You see, John was always sitting near him. And they received the revelation secrets of his promises. So out of personal intimacy comes a royal identity. Knowledge of your royal identity. I'm a child of God. I'm a son. I'm no longer a slave, right? And we know all that. But we know it, not just here, but it's made the journey all the way down to here. And it changes us. And then from that place we can fulfill our purpose and our calling in life. We have clarity, we have focus, we have understanding because the one who leads us. Paul said, the Spirit of God revealed to me. Jesus, he said, was actually formed in him or revealed in him, in him, he said. And then he said, so he said, he called me. By revelation, I understood my purpose to be an apostle to the Gentiles and so on. By revelation, he shows us by revelation the purposes of our life. Revelation comes out of relationship. And I'm not just talking about reading the word and going, okay, the word means this. I mean, how do you, how do you know where you're supposed to go and who you're supposed to preach to? There's not a Bible verse. Just like, oh, Lord, show me. Right? It says, and Paul went to Asia Minor. And then somebody gets on a plane, goes to Asia or something. <laughs> you know, but that's not the, the way it works. You need to know him. Let him speak to you. Let him confirm. How did my wife and I know we were supposed to move to Australia? 
We had prayer. We sought the Lord. We, we had dreams. We had visions. There were prophetic words. We, we waited on the Lord. We got confirmation through others. But ultimately, we knew what we were supposed to do. And when we stepped out and we did it, and we literally sold everything we owned and moved to the other side of the world with no promises, no visa, nothing, we were five suitcases, my wife and me, and we said there were five, lo- five loaves and two fish, and God multiplied it when we went over there. And within a very short period of time, thousands and thousands of dollars started flowing in. Every week, people were giving me cars, houses, things like that just started happening. I'm like, what? I've never seen such favor on my life before. I never have seen such favor on my life before. We were up in Canada, and a month before COVID, we had moved up to Canada after being in Australia. And then when we were up there, man, we, we said the favor of God is not on us. What are we doing here? And so about nine months later, we left and we ended up returning to the United States. We sought God. We got a word. We had a revelation. We came here and the Lord opened the door for us to stay here. I'm not a citizen here. I had to go through immigration, the whole deal. He get it in two weeks. I got a visa in two weeks time. It was crazy. It takes people a year and a half right now to get a visa. I got mine in two weeks. And with COVID, everything's backed up. I'm telling you. So the point is, I'm like, Lord, what do we do? We don't have any money. I mean, we didn't have any money, honestly. And, and then the Lord was like, just go. I'm going to take care of you. And, and we honestly, we, we had a stuff in a, in a condominium, and we didn't know what to do. We put it in storage. It was going to be over $10,000 to ship it here. And, and we didn't have a car. We couldn't bring our car across the border because the border is closed. We didn't have anything. And then God, somebody gave us a, a nice vehicle. Yes, what kind of car? It's the 2018 Chevy Equinox, 2.0 liter. It's the, God, it's a fully loaded version, given to me. Like 20,000 miles on it, given to me. From a man who didn't even know me, God spoke to him, give him this car. No car payments, y'all. Come on. <laughs> yeah. And favor, favor. I don't have, in the natural, I, I'm not a wealthy man. I am not in the natural. I give it away even if I had it because we travel and we do so much. We help people overseas. Our focus is on unreached people groups. People who've never heard the gospel, we're working there. And, but yet God keeps providing, keeps providing, keeps blessing. And I know when our heart is right with him and when we're humble and we love him and we prioritize him and we depend on him, he will keep opening doors. We need to come into alignment with personal intimacy. We need to come into alignment with our royal identity. And lastly, we need to come into alignment with our dominion destiny. We're called to exercise authority on the earth. We're called to walk in power. We're called to bring change and transformation. Acts 17, 6. These are the men who've turned the whole world upside down. Come on now. We wish we would hear that again. Wish we'd hear that again. Come on. Let me close with this. When I say close, I do two closings. All right? So just just so you understand. Paul said in, in Philippians 3, finally, brethren... Then in Philippians 4, he said, finally, brethren. Okay? 
So I get, I get two closings. I'm, so, some, you know, I went through a personality test one time, and I was in Australia, and this guy is, is hilarious, this man, but he's very apostolic, but he has this ministry where he's developed this resource to be able to kind of say, you know, this is your personality, these are your gifts, this is what you're like. So he, he had my wife and I do it, and I mean, it was hilarious. It was so accurate. It was, it was crazy. But he, you know what he said to me? He said, you have the exact same personality as the Apostle Paul. And I said, what? You have the exact, and he said, what do you do? I said, well, I go to nations. I, my, my goal is I want to reach, go to places where un, people have never heard the gospel. That's my goal. And, and I want to get the church stirred up and fired up about that as well. Because 99% of the money that we give to missions goes to places where they already have churches, Bibles, ministries. It's true. Do you know, this is a true statistic, that in the United States, we spend more money on Halloween costumes for our pets than we give to missions to unreached people groups. Halloween costumes for our pets. Not our kids, our pets. We, we spend more money on Halloween costumes for our pets than we do give money toward unreached people groups. 6,900 unreached ethnic groups in the world. Okay? So there's still a lot of people that need to hear this gospel of the kingdom. Then we got a lot of people never, that don't understand kingdom. They, they, they have this gospel which is no power. The kingdom of God is not in word, logos, but in power, dunamis. So what we're preaching has no power. There's no signs and wonders. There's no miracles. People aren't being delivered and set free. If, if people that come to our churches, I'm going to just say it because it's the truth and the truth will set you free. If people are coming to our churches and they're not changing and they're not being set free and delivered and healed, yeah, I, mean, I can recognize that ultimately, yeah, everybody's responsible to make the decision to, to uh, you know, walk in that. And to, but ultimately, there needs to be miracles. There need to be signs and wonders. There need to be healing and deliverances taking place. That's the gospel of the kingdom. Luke 8, 1, Jesus went around, it says, shooing, preaching and shooing the glad tidings of the kingdom. Preaching and shooing. You'll know what shooing means, right? Okay. The New King James says, preaching and bringing the glad tidings <laughs> of the kingdom. He didn't just do in declaration, but in demonstration. It wasn't just a message, but it was a manifestation. So ultimately, here's what we need to do. This is where things really shift. Okay, you ready? The plane is starting to come down. You ready? Um, we are now starting our descent into Dallas-Fort Worth. Please put your tray tables up. Put your seatbelts back on. Okay, you ready, y'all? Here we go. Um, <clears throat> we have to, if we're going to see happen on the earth what the Lord wants to do, we're going to have to represent Jesus to the nations and the generations. Represent Jesus. I didn't say represent, I said represent. We just, had, we just did a conference for our Kingdom Community Network in southwest Florida near Fort Myers, and one of the speakers that we brought in is a good friend of mine from Zimbabwe, Africa. The bishop, Bishop Nelson, we call him. 
Bishop Nelson, because he's from Zimbabwe, they don't say represent, they say represent. And I was listening to him, and I was like, I got a revelation. Like, he's saying, we need to represent, we need to represent Jesus well. And, and I'm like, represent, present him again. Present him again. So that Christ will be formed in us again, and as we go forth, people see Christ in us. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Jesus in us. Represent Jesus. They've seen religion. They've seen the nasty underbelly of religion. They've, they've seen stuff that, that is bondage and, and, and is legalistic. And, and then they've seen the greasy grace and the stuff that has no power. And, and you know, I mean, I, I, I've, I've been in dialogue with, with different people, and particularly, you know, 50% of millennials dropped out of church during COVID-19? 50%. Where are the millennials? Where's the Gen Z anymore? Huh? You know what they want? They want community, and they want real, authentic spirituality. In other words, they want the real power of God. They want the real truth, too, many of them. They may not like it at first, but they love it when you're, when you're real. Come on now. They need healing. They need deliverance. You imagine growing up in this craziness this craziness man we need to represent Jesus so what how does this all work let me just very quickly say this In Ezekiel 37, you know the story. The prophet is set down in the midst of a valley by the Spirit of the Lord, and he's told to prophesy to the dry bones, right? Okay. So in Ezekiel 37, you see that there are many, very many bones, and they're very dry. Now, very many speaks of quantity. Very dry speaks of quality. But then... The interesting thing, particularly the New Living Translation, verse 3, says that these bones were scattered. They were scattered. That's the quandary. Right now, not only do we have very many bones in America, not only do we have, are they very dry in America, but I'm talking about church now. I'm talking about church now. Dead churches, people that are dead, people that are dried up spiritually, No offense, guys, but if we lost our passion, we lost our zeal, we're not seeking God anymore, we've fallen from our first love, then we're like that valley of dry bones. And then what happens is they're scattered. COVID was a great scattering. The enemy hates when we come together. He hates it because we are called to be a body. So what happens is the word of the Lord comes to him, son of man, can these bones live? Only you know, Lord. I mean, that's a safe answer, isn't it? It's like, well, no way. That's, well, that would be unbelief. Or yes, Lord. Then he might say, well, you do something about it. And he's like, I don't know if I really have that faith. But, <laughs> but the point is, he said, only you know. But I'm saying the point, and then what happens, the Lord tells him to prophesy to the bones. He does, and 
at what happens is there's a rattling, there's noise, there's a coming together. The bones begin to link up, they begin to connect, and then we see sinew, we see tissue, we, we see flesh, we see skin, and uh, it, it's, it's like a person, but it's just a corpse, y'all. It's just a corpse, it's just a dead body at this point. There's still no life, so he's told he has to prophesy again, and then he prophesies as he is commanded and calls for the four winds, the breath, the Ruach of God to come forth. And as the Ruach of God comes forth, then life enters these bodies and they stand up and there's an exceedingly great army. This is a prophetic picture of what's happening in the church right now. You see, we are disconnected. I said it earlier, I'm going to say it again. Are you a body part or are you part of the body? In Ezekiel's day, there were a lot of body parts, a lot of bones, but they weren't part of a body. They were disconnected. And God wants to reconnect us. Here's my point. Before there was revival, the breath of God was poured in. There had to be reformation. There had to be the reforming of a body before there could be the breathing in of spirit and life. God wants to bring us together. I'm not talking about people that are heretics, people that are rebellious. There's a process to deal with rebellious people in the body of Christ too, but ultimately that can bring them deliverance and, and, and reconciliation and, and restoration. But the point I'm trying to say here is we need to recognize that we have a responsibility to know our place in the body of Christ. And as ministers, as fivefold ministers, it is our responsibility to equip the saints to do the work of ministry and to see them conform to the likeness of Jesus Christ. So it's no longer a one-man show or a two or three or four gifted people doing all the ministry and everybody else just showing up like an audience. We're not called to have an audience in the church. We're called to have an army in the church. And when we stand before the Lord on judgment day. He's not going to judge our effectiveness and our fruitfulness by our seating capacity, but by our sending capacity. Oh, man, I have, we have, how many are you running? Before COVID, right? Now everybody during COVID, that's the shame to answer that. Before, I'm part, we, our home church, I'm not against big churches. Our home church is Gateway. Pastor Robert Morris is my pastor. Okay, I am in with the leaders, okay, and, and they respect our ministry and what we do. But let me tell you, even Gateway has taken a big hit, a huge hit. The church campus that we're part of in Frisco, Texas, had 4,000 people run regularly before COVID. They're lucky they have 2,000. Now, that's Texas, y'all. Texas is open. <laughs> They never really shut down. And this is the reality of, of where we're at. There's this great disconnect that's taken. It's happened before. Now it's even worse. All right. So we've got to bring the body together. Let me say this. All right. How do we bring the body together? Three quick points. In Ephesians 4, 11, he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some pastors, evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers to equip the saints to do the work of ministry, right? If you read, and we don't have time to get into all, read what it says 
but particularly in verse 16. Verse 16, I, I just got to read this one verse. Thank you, sir. I appreciate the, the freedom to be able to do this. The, the um, Ephesians 4, verse 16. Man, I'm not online. All right. Ephesians 4, 16. Awesome. New living? Okay. Can you make it new living? Awesome. Let's do it then. I see it in front of me. Okay, so for from whom the whole body fitly joined together. Now, did you see that? Fitly joined together? Compacted by that which every joint supplieth. Every joint supply according to the effectiveness. Okay. All right. Is this the new living? That's it. There we Okay. Let's go to verse 16, new living. We're getting there. Almost there. There we go. Look at this in the new living. He, Jesus, makes the whole body fit together perfectly. Do you see that? What have we got all competition for? Come on. What we, the dev, only competition we have is the devil. Not other churches. We need to repent of that. That's another thing we can add to the repentance list. The whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work. Come on now. You're a part and you have a special work. It helps the other parts grow. We need one another. We need one another. I'm not going to grow, fully grow. I'm not going to be at, operate at my optimal capacity without the input of others. That's why it says over 60 times in the New Testament, the two words, one another, one another, one another, one another, one another. So that the whole body is healthy, growing, and full of love. Now, that's what, that's what the body of Christ looks like. Healthy, growing, and full of love. That's who we are. Now, so how does this happen? Well, it's... From the word in verse number 12, what it says that we're called to equip. What does equip? I said the word earlier. Are you ready? It's kartartizmos, but that's only used one time in the New Testament. The derivative of it, in other words, the, the word uh, is kartartizo, which I've already mentioned. Now, what that means is it means three things. You ready? Number one, it needs to repair something that is broken. There's, there's a lot of examples I could give. We don't have time. I teach this in, in greater depth. But it means to mend something that is broken. In Matthew 4.21, when James and John are sitting on the seashore, Jesus walks up. They're sitting there mending their fishing net that's torn after coming back from a fishing trip. That's Carter Tizzo, mending. Secondly, it means not only to repair something that's broken, but it means to prepare something for a purpose. To prepare something for a purpose. Are you ready? So God wants to mend you so he can send you. God wants to uh, mend you of your misery so he can move you into your ministry. Woo! This message is brought to you by the letter M. You see, God wants to mend you of your ministry so he can move you into your ministry. You have a ministry. You have a purpose. You have a calling. You have gifts that God has uniquely assigned to you and the body of Christ. Just like a natural body, if the hand isn't working, you know, if something else isn't working properly, the whole body feels it. We feel it, right? Okay. The last example of this is found in 1 Corinthians 1.10. And this brings us back to the opening illustration one accord, one place. When God's people are in one accord, in one place, I'm talking about now locally now, then 
there's something special that happens. Study the scripture. Psalm 133. Blessed, you know, when we're together in unity. Blesses when we dwell together in unity. Day of Pentecost, one accord, one place. When they were worshiping in the temple, they were as one man, one sound, worshiping one accord in one place, and the fire of God fell, the glory of God came. So there's something special that takes place. But in, in um, verse 10 of 1 Corinthians 1, he says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I appeal to you, I beg you, I'm pleading with you. He said, by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. This isn't Glenn, this isn't Paul, this isn't Peter, this isn't whomever. This is me, Paul is saying, but the authority of Jesus Christ. I want you to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. In the New King James, if you could put that up, please, in the New King James. In the New King James, there are three words there. It says, um, fit, joint, is it jointly fitted together? Let me just make to get together. Perfectly joined together. That you be perfectly joined together. The word, those three words in English, perfectly joined together, are the single Greek word, is the single Greek word, kartartizo. The word translated equip, repair, prepare. God wants to mend us, whatever's broken in our lives. He wants to send us, he has a purpose for us, but lastly, he wants to blend us. We can't call just to do this individually as autonomous ministries, autonomous churches. God says there's one body. We need to come together. We need to function. Early church, Paul said to the church that is in the city of Corinth. Church met in hundreds, if not thousands of homes. But it was one church. Where do we start? How do you eat an elephant? Hi, I'm Dr. Andreas Michaelitis, Chief Psychologist at Noom. But what's Noom and why does Noom need a Chief Psychologist? Noom is a weight loss program that works with results that last because we know that changing the way you eat starts with your mind. With Noom's proven psychology-backed tools, one-on-one coaching, and flexible plans that emphasize progress over perfection, you'll have the tools you need to change your relationship with food. So sign up at Noom.com now and lose the weight for good. That's N-O-O-M.com.